and it's at this point really that we're crossing into the third act because they're they're you know scott's exhausted he's saying mean ass shit he's begun drinking again so he goes up to the bar and orders two gin and tonics both for himself and and this is his slide down isn't it yeah you could say that this is when he like what goes on a bender <laughs> sort of sp- a bit I, I like the fact that, that up to this point, he has not gotten that Roxy was her girlfriend, though, because throughout the entire movie, it's been peppered that, that you know, he goes, your evil ex-boyfriend, since she always corrected him. This ex-boyfriend's thing is messing with my head, exes. Why do you keep saying that? <laughs> girlfriend earlier? Yeah, and he never and it never yeah. became. You know this girl? And I love how the meter goes off in his head. Know me? <laughs> what is she talking about? He really doesn't know. He really doesn't. Know. Wait. Mm. Yeah, that's it. And it's like you it's had a sexy face. Just a face? You had a sexy face? It meant nothing. I didn't think it would count. It meant nothing? I was just a little bi curious. Well, honey, I'm a little bi curious. <laughs> it was just a phase. You had a sexy phase? <laughs> just a phase? Uh, I was bi-curious. <laughs> and then you get that yeah, really so, awful line, well, I'm a little bi-furious. Ugh, like nails on a chalkboard. What's also interesting is that that level of experience. Like, it, it's almost as if as the movie progresses, his insecurity and comfort with Ramona start to go down because he's discovering that it's not that she had a bunch of evil exes, is that one of them is a rock star. Another one is a movie star. She had a girlfriend that she was with. These are all things that's kind of like a level of sexual experience that kind of would intimidate a lot of guys that wouldn't have nearly as much experience. You begin to doubt yourself, like, what does this person really see in me? Mm. You know, what what do I have that's that's more special than what they've had before? Kind of reminds me of Chasing Amy. <gasps> Very much so. Yes. Right. Because he basically feels intimidated by her experience and that he can never match up. Yeah. And his his idea, his solution to solve that intimidation is for him and his friend to do a two-way with his girlfriend. I think it would be to a which three-way. She is com- well, that's what I meant, a three-way. To which she's completely insulted. And that's like the end of the relationship. And understandably so. But the, this movie kind of, you know, it's just, you know, every layer gets sort of more and more rockier and, and insecure because of the situation that the, the experience that she has. And he's just kind of discovering that the more and more about her. And he gets to that point where he's like, is there anybody in here that you haven't fucked? And it, which is just really low. Yeah. If you want to end the relationship. Say that. I think oh, that's the best question to ask. Oh, my God. And then that's when she says, congratulations, now you're an asshole like the rest of my exes. And, and, and that is, in my mind, a foreshadowing because she says, what does she say? Just an evil ex waiting to happen? No? She asks if they want to split. Oh, yeah. And he says, you mean, you mean break up? And at that moment, in that moment, when she asks, do you want to split? And he says, do you mean break up? And she says... I'd hope that would be obvious, like the, like a no. She rubs the back of her neck. Oh, she very purposefully reaches around and rubs the back of her neck, and it's almost like a like a diversion. Like, oh, I can't believe that. 
but she rubs the back of her neck. And that's important because at this point, we have crossed into the second act. The hair hasn't changed, but it will soon. And did you pick up on what the next T-shirt that he wears is? What's that? It's the Fantastic Four logo, but with the half symbol on it. So it's like reads like four and a half. So they just encountered the fourth X, right? Right. And but you think in the moment that he's almost like the half, like the four and a half X, like like he's almost almost an X, almost like he's an halfway X. there. Nice. No, I did not get that, but that's fucking amazing. So that moves us into the next battle. Oh, but we can't. I wait, let's, let's not forget that. Or am I skipping over something? Yeah. While they're fighting, or before they fight? Yeah. Wallace tells Scott to kick her in the balls. This is happening, right? Oh yeah. Kick her in the balls. Ah, that's right, he does. Kicker of the balls. Wallace is there as his consciousness to say you are allowed to fight. And the thing is, he was not in the club with them, I don't think. He did not go with them to the show. At least I don't remember seeing him there. But he's at the after party. Right, right. Yeah, so as is, I keep saying consciousness. I really mean conscience. As his conscience, he's conveniently there to let him know that he's allowed to fight. <laughs> Kicker in the balls. balls. <laughs> it's fucking phenomenal. Fucking phenomenal. It's, it's basically him saying, she shouldn't be a girl in your mind. You know, forget the soft part. You know, you're allowed to set that aside because she is going to kick your ass. There is there is nothing. This is equal. <laughs> to put gender aside and... and and uh, sadly enough, kick her in the balls. I think that's what that was going for, at least. We quickly transition into the next set of X's. I'm looking at my plate. I've got four shots that I've done. Is it obvious? Uh, you could hide it pretty well. Okay, good. All right, fantastic. So the next... and I, it's, it's good, really, that they kind of wrapped into the fact that the next set of X's are the Katyanagi twins. Very good. And <laughs> I, I was, I was, I was, I was looking afraid at, it was going to fuck that up. I was looking at it. I'm like, how do I pronounce this? Katayanagi? Or? Katayanagi twins. And, uh, and, and we are now fully into the third act. But before we get into the why, let's talk about the alcohol. Okay. What do you got? What, what drink? Oh, you want me to go first? What did, what did, I went first. What did you bring to the game here? Okay. So, because we have a pair of Japanese twins, right? I went with a Japanese whiskey, which is a blend called Hibiki Japanese Harmony. Okay, that's really all I got on it. No, that's that's pretty good. I was trying to see if uh, I could find one with some dragons in the logo, but uh, I ran out of time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So for mine. Uh, I'm I'm moving away from the more hard liquors, and I'm moving towards a Pinot Noir Ooh. from Menage a Trois, because she dated two twins. And you know, there may have been... Again, we're moving into that realm where we're uncovering her, her sexual exploits, and we've gone from her having a bisexual phase, a sexy phase, into a multi-partner phase, which kicks that into... For some people, just a crazy level. That's just weird. Why? Wait, 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 wait. Why the why the weird judgment? What's weird? Twins. Oh, that's right. You have a twin brother. I do have a twin brother. 
Okay. All right. By the way, back to the, the whiskey that I had selected. The, the uh-huh. word hibiki means resonance uh-huh. or echo in Japanese. Oh, nice. 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 Right. So it's very, uh, it's, it actually kind of speaks to, to uh, the ability of sound to travel through air, much like the battle that they're about to, in, to endure. Exactly. So mine is Menage a Trois Pinot Noir. And uh, I'm just going to take a little bit down. Cheers. <laughs> I don't know what I expected. Um, it tastes like a Pinot Noir, probably. Again, I don't drink much. I'm not sure that I've had a Pinot Noir before. I I know. It's in my cabinet, but I, wait, 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 I, wait. I had to open it. Yeah, so so now you kind of have to drink it all because it doesn't. it's not really shelf-stable once you open it. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I know. It's not that good. Maybe I should have some chicken with it. Fuck if I know. I don't know. No, it's a red. It's you pretty light, though. Steak. Yeah, well, I know, but it's a light red. I could have chicken with this, and that would be all right. Like, the saltiness on the on the fl- of the flavoring of the chicken that I that I usually use would go well with the, the sort of dry flavors of this. But, yeah, steak would work well, too, here. It's yeah, something medium rare. Uh I'm going to have to say, after that Southern Comfort, this is a refreshing uh, <laughs> beverage. Yeah. What'd you expect? <laughs> Dude, I did not know. But in comparison to the three before it, I did not expect what I had. Did not expect what I had. So could you uh, find, were you able to find I'm the still... references to five and six? God, shivering. Uh, this one was hard. It is hard. Right? Uh, there, there were some references and I feel like they were a little bit deeper down. The X's were a little bit easier to find. Yeah. Like the, uh, the, the light rack above, the, um, Scott's band sex, Bob, uh-huh. that, right. That crashes down into an X symbol. Oh, that's nice. I missed that. The, the X that I saw was as the Nagasaki twins. The, oh, Jesus. Cotton. Cotton. Wallawa Mountains. Katayanagi twins. When they when they throw their wrists together. Oh, right, right. To, to, to begin playing, like they, they throw their wrists together, like, let's do this. And, you know, combine forces, ching. And they throw their wrists together. That creates the form of an X where, they're, where their wristbands connect together. And the wristbands. And then they like, you know. The wristbands are where the numbers five and six show up. Yeah, I looked for that. I looked for it too. I'd I couldn't seen find someone, it. I could not see a clear. I could not see any. I think someone's making that bullshit up because I, I could not no, see a if, clear. If you look at some other symbol images, on those wristbands. You do see it, but oh, okay. the one that is the the easiest to find if you know what to look for is that when they mm-hmm. turn the volume up on their all thing, the way to eleven, they turn up to eleven. But the symbol is it. it it's a little. It's a, like a plus a plus minus symbol, sort of. But that's the Japanese symbol right. for eleven. And 11 right. is 5 plus right, 6. Right, right. Yep. I saw that. And I didn't see that because I knew to look for it or because it was obvious. I saw it because somebody had mentioned that fact. Um, evidently, we may have seen the Reddit article, <laughs> the same Reddit article <laughs> that, that brought that. But those were much more subtle than any of the others. You really had to know what to look up. for. Because like the, the other ones are so obvious, <laughs> you know? Right. Like the big numbers right. on the building, which is what I would keep looking for, never find it for five and six. Yeah, and when when I was looking at like let's say icons on the poster where it's like them fighting each other, it was like eight. Mm. 
you know, like eight bulletins or eight stars or something like that. So there just wasn't anything that I could really wrap my head around that was like a five and a six. Yeah, I was I was counting um, exclamation points on the poster, and it wasn't happening. But there were there were yeah, it was like there was eight. That's what was there. There were eight exclamation points. I was like, no, that's not it. Yeah, yeah. So it was not real obvious. Super subtle. Super subtle. Although I like the fact that you saw the X in the uh, in the in the lighting that fell behind them and crisscrossed. That's super fucking cool. But in the background, before the fighting even begins, what we see is Ramona talking to Gideon. Oh, and dun, we are dun, we dun. know we are now fully into the third act. Because she's got the green this hair is, now, uh, right? She's got the green hair. She's got a green emerald ring that is glowing. And when you talk about colors and you talk about like the color green specifically, the most obvious thing that pops in is jealousy. And jealousy and envy are greenish colors when represented in anything. And in fact, when it goes full bore in and he hits the pedal, Scott's eyes turn green and the gorilla comes lashing out and you see bolts of green lightning sort of surrounding and attacking the two dragon heads. And uh, you just have this overwhelming amount of this this green coming out, this uh, very emotional, deep, uh, bitter bile of emotion that's being reflected throughout this part of the movie. I was just reading a little bit on the psychology of the color green. Mm-hmm. And this particular website says that green is a lively color, and it symbolizes renewal and growth. It is the color you see the most in the natural environment. It is the power of green, which Mm -hmm. manages to resonate without inner energy rebalancing us, which is kind of what this... I'd say that is very true when we're talking about the green externally. Uh, green is the color where we can see the most shades. And the reason why is because it's, uh, it's, it, it's embedded in us as a survival color. We need to be able to discern different types of greens because a lot of animals that long time ago could have been dangerous to us uh, had a great degree of camouflage. And we needed to be able to see varying shades of green to discern danger from safety in the wild. So green is a outside green carries sort of a different meaning. When we talk about emotion and internal colors or how they're they're portrayed outwardly, it, it's a it's very emotional, very deep seated, very, very uh, bile and and sort of bitterish emotion. But it can be renewal because it also represents growth out externally. But in this situation, I don't think we that's that is the I think we're seeing more of an emotional reflection. And the reason why I say that is because colors represented emotionally in a lot of other parts, too. And that'll make more sense when we dive deeper into Gideon. Green is also the color of the jade key. This is true. Pink is kind of like red, which is kind of like the copper key. Okay. And there's a lot of blue and white light. There is a lot. There is a lot of blue in the third act. That's for sure. And the uh, yeah. So it definitely hits on some color points there. Common common crossover between the two. Although I don't think they're used quite the same way color wise. Like I don't think color was necessarily used as a deep sort of symbolic run through Ready Player One the movie. And didn't have to. It had a lot of external references and and you know trivia and eighty shit. It really didn't need that. But this movie seems to latch on to it pretty well. 
Okay. So are we ready to move into Gideon then? Or are there any other points that you can think of? Well, he's in lesbians with her. He is. He is. And it's at that point that he uh, gets broken up with. She dumps him. After all that. After all that. And, and it's worse than that because now he is, he is in the bottom. He's heading towards a crash. He stands up to Gideon, to which Gideon offers them a contract to basically own their group that all the other members sign on to that he doesn't. So he's breaking up with the band in that moment. He just got broken up with, with his girlfriend. He was just defeated emotionally by the last evil ex. You really find out who your friends are in that kind of moment, huh? Uh, yeah, I suppose so. But, you know, it gets even worse because Wallace tells him that he's got to find someplace else to live. Now he's getting kicked out of his apartment. And it's not even in a bad way. Wallace isn't being an asshole. He's just saying, you got to find somewhere else to live. Why don't you go live with Ramona? We broke up. Oh, that sucks. But you still got to go. So literally everyone in his life uh, is leaving him. And, and he's kind of left sort of by himself and he's just really in the doldrums this is the low point right this is like the parzival contemplating suicide moment yeah yeah but to to rebound and and much as you said as far as green is concerned and maybe this is where the rebound of of regrowth comes in in order to rebound you have to hit that zero you have to come up from something you've got to be able to sort of clear away your past debts and i like that that your research into that color kind of accentuates the fact that that's what he needs to do. Like in the movie, this is where the most growth is going to occur. I hadn't thought about that until you mentioned it. I was wondering why you hadn't picked up on it when I mentioned it, but uh, thank you for coming full circle. Yeah, yeah. Very nice. So Scott has this moment with his sister where he's on the same swings that he was with Ramona earlier in the movie, and (laughs) she asks if if he actually saw a future with this girl, and he says, like with jetpacks. Love it. It's not just a future. It's it's a future where 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 you can fly or with jetpacks, you know. And, but but not, not just a future with her, but a future with her in the future. Yeah, that has jetpacks but, that had that far into the future. What I picked up on this time was that she calls him <laughs> little brother, but she's the younger mm-hmm. sister. Is she? Yeah, she's the younger sister. How do we how do we know this? If you go back to the movie, it says that he's like 22 or 23, and I think she's supposed to be like 19. But anyway, so like they're having this like moment where she's kind of like being like very supportive or whatever. And then she gets this phone call and obviously talking about him. She's like, I know it's so pathetic. Scott. Was she really the one? The what? I mean, did you really see a future with this girl? Like, with jetpacks. Time heals all wounds, little brother. Maybe next time we don't date the girl with 11 evil ex-boyfriends. Seven. Oh, that's not that bad. Hey. Yeah, I know. Oh, it's so pathetic. Oh, uh, she's right. the worst. Oh, she's awesome. That, that's fantastic. I know. Yeah, and then she says, well, maybe next time you don't pick a girlfriend that has 11 evil exes. And he goes, seven. Oh, seven. That's not so bad. <laughs> 
But she kind of, in a moment, basically gives him her permission to fight for that. That it's that it doesn't have to be over. That he's allowed to fight for that. And and then the phone call comes in from Gideon saying, "Hey, I just you know wanted to you know, make it water under the bridge and invite you guys to come out to you know the new place where the the acoustics are amazing, <laughs> amazing." <laughs> And that's when Wallace tells him, fuck him, fight for it, you know, you know, go back at it. This don't make this the end. That's him saying fight. Yeah. At the end, what is it? It's basically nearly every fight. He says, yeah, Mm -hmm. you are allowed to go fight this ex. Did he do it with Katayanagi, the Katayanagi twins? Was he even there? No, was he in he that scene? No, he didn't do it with the, with the twins. He didn't do it Katayanagi. with Todd, because he wasn't there. True, true. Okay, okay, all right, but I, okay. But at least he says it, I think he says it, at least he says it here, that you can, you're allowed to fight for this. This doesn't have to be over. Fuck that guy. He does it with the exes that are probably the ones that are the hardest for Scott to you know, like wrap his arms around the idea of fighting. Like the ones where he would actually need permission because the characters themselves, like the first one, the Matthew Patel, like like he just doesn't understand what's going on. So he needs to be told. And then- He's not emotionally triggered. Yeah. And then with the second ex being uh, Lucas Lee, he's so starstruck by him that he's, you know, he's confused. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing. And he needs to be reminded that this is part of the fight. Right. The he's not there for Todd, but Todd is such an asshole. It's easy to make it triggers that. him. Yeah, automatically. He, he's immediately triggered that he's got to fight him. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth one is Roxy. And he needs the help because it's a girl, right? Five right. and six. It's a battle of the bands. He's kind of got no choice here, but he's awesome. Well, he sees her with Gideon and, and he's just, he's triggered. He's ready to go. He's just ready to make this happen and get over with it and get beyond it. And he just, he just leans into it. You know, that's why his eyes turn green and the monster comes out. The gorilla basically comes off of his back and out to fight. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't need to be told to fight. You know, he's already in battle mode, but, but here he's about given up with Gideon and, and he's now being told you can you should fight for her you should at least try part of making people feel like they are as important in your life as they are is showing that they're worth fighting for and you know i think this is a situation where even though she's broken up with him even though she's left him you know he he feels like he needs to demonstrate that in his life he feels that she is worth fighting for and he gives it a try that brings us to Gideon Graves, the final X. The final X. Before we get to Gideon, do tell. What did you bring to the battle? Okay. Sir, in your glass. So I chose for Gideon Graves, Seagram's Seven Crown Whiskey. So seven being that he's the seventh deadly X. Nice. And, nice. And it's the Seagram Seven Crown Whiskey because... He's sort of like the, I use the phrase king of the X's, but he's like the leader. And it's also almost king in a literal sense, because when he's at that club at the end, mm-hmm. he's holding a scepter. Right, right. So he, he is kind of like gallivanting like a king. Is he, I thought it was a cane. A cape? Like a walking cane. 
A cane. Like a walking cane? It's, it's like a scepter. It's a cane with a sword in it. But he holds it like it's a scepter. He's sitting on his throne yep. holding his scepter like a king. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. He definitely holds it like a scepter for sure. I, I get that. Okay, that's a great choice of alcohol for this, uh, for this pairing, for this evil ex. And what did you pick, sir? I went to my cabinet to see what I had, and uh, I found a bottle that was given to me on my birthday. It is a bottle of Ron Jeremy spiced rum. Oh, there you go. And why Ron Jeremy? Because Ron Jeremy is known for having a big dick, and uh, Gideon is a big dick. And we'll leave it at that. That's where the logic ends, really. So, to that, cheers. Salasha. Uh... That tastes a lot like leather and rum, like rum, rum, smoked rum. Is it used leather? And it is not nearly as smooth as uh, the other rum. Does it require like a whipped cream topping? Like shoot, like has sort of like a, 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 a smoky, cheap leather shoe with a rum flavor, but it's um, a bit abrasive. Not as good as my favorite. So anyway, back to the movie, and without exactly recounting every little step of the movie, because the battle of the battle or whatever, this part was written without the original source material. Okay. This was all kind of for a movie portrayal. And okay. did you find the seven? I did. I did find the seven. Did you find it without cheating? I did. I did. I'll tell you what, I don't know that our sevens are the same, so do you care if I tell you what my seven is? Go for it. So Gideon is also known as G-Man. There are a lot of letters in this movie. So G-Man, I thought, well, all right, so letter G for G-Man, where does the G fall in the alphabet? And surely enough, it is the seventh letter of the alphabet. Where was your G? So I'm sorry, your seven. So the actual reference for the sevens is... In the logo, in the little emblem on his, you know, for his, uh, his, whatever the venue is called, I forget now. Okay. If you look it up, it's like this triangle logo with, it looks like three G's in it. But if you turn the logo, the G's are formed by little sevens as the negative. Oh, I see it. Oh, I see it. Yeah. Okay. 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 I get that. Yeah, the seven is kind of sort of put into the G. It's a, it's a, it's a, a pyramid or a triangle that's got three Gs. But if yep. you turn it, I can totally see how that looks like like three sevens. That's fucking clever. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. I hadn't even thought about the fact that G is the seventh letter of the alphabet. Hadn't thought of that. That's a good one. Cool. All right. All right. So another thing I noticed here was that... You know, and again, it comes back to to color. You know, aside from growth and emotional jealousy possibly sort of being two ends of the green spectrum there, what we start to see now is the introduction of deep reds. And the stairs leading up to Gideon are red. The inside of Scott Pilgrim's coat is red when he throws it down and says, let's get busy. Everything, actually, as they begin to fight, it is this, this conflict of raw will. And when we look at the, the, the color of red, that's, that's what we're talking about. It's often used to represent 
an instigation of will. And oftentimes people think, oh, well, it represents love. But red, deep red, we are talking represents the things that make us panic, the things that trigger our level of adrenaline automatically on sight. It's what makes people pass out in the waiting room when you see blood. Uh, it, it is literally an ingrained trigger as a color that causes our heartbeat to pump more wildly. And I want to distinguish that from the pink in the earlier part of the movie, which really does actually accentuate love and romance and an interest in a relationship. But here he's coming to kick ass. He pulls the sword out of his chest, which is the... The power of love. The power of love. And it is a bright red sword. And that's what he uses for his first fight with G-Man. And, and that said, again, we are in a situation where Scott and Ramona are in the same place. In the earlier part of the movie, the first part, in the, the first act, Ramona's hair is pink. Her clothes are mostly pink. And he's actually wearing shirts that are pink, that match the color of her hair. Like, they color coordinate before they're even a thing. And they even color coordinate when they are a thing. That's where he's wearing the blue hoodie and she has blue hair. In this situation, she has green hair, green ring, green thing on the back of her neck. He has a green shirt on. So he's he's throwing down for, to do the red, but he's really at this moment kind of on par with her. You know that he's still connected to her, even though she's in a state that's separate from him. It's interesting how that color stuff starts to really pop out, particularly when they're fighting. You really dove deep into this. Well, it gets deeper. Deep. Because he, he ends up, you know, Knives Chow sort of breaks in, and in a moment of distraction, well, first off, that's when we come to find out that his hens have come home to roost. Is that it? Is it? Chickens, I think. It's not hens. Chickens have come home to roost. <laughs> it tastes the same on a, on a burger. Anyhow, his chickens have come home to roost. That's when we find out that he cheated on both of them. That it's ah. not just that he went to Ramona and went away from Knives and there wasn't that clean cut in between. But the fact of overlaying and the two not knowing it, he cheated on both of them. And that is a really interesting and poignant thing to say here. Is I think that, you know, in the typical guy's mind, it's the one that I'm going to I'm not cheating on. The one I left is potentially who I'm cheating on. But the fact of the matter is that the two didn't know it. They were both cheated on. They were both hurt. He broke the rules with both of them. And he doesn't realize it the first time around. He has to... He doesn't. He needs to have like a real metaphorical growth where he's actually reborn. He has to have a death to be reborn from. And he has to realize all the wrong he's done. And it is this point, after having died, that he has a realization of all the things that, that didn't quite go right. And the movie kind of skips over a lot of this, I think. But he realizes that it's about him and, and being true to his character and being a good person. Uh, that he shouldn't, he shouldn't be fighting for someone else. He should be fighting for himself. Oh, that's a good lesson. It's a great lesson. And then when he realizes that he won that, that, that uh, level up, which I fucking loved. See, that, another reference to Ready Player One. Well, it's a reference to video games. But they both have it. It's another parallel to Ready Player One because he has this extra life. Yeah, yeah, you're right, yeah. And, and, and in fact, both main characters have to come back from death. Spoiler alert. Double, spo <laughs> Double spoiler. 
<laughs> Double secret spoiler alert. Uh, double secret spoiler alert. But he does. He he snatches it. He comes back. But in this time around, you know, it quickly goes through where, you know, he throws on the jacket, runs out the door, goes through the first gate, goes through the two guys, you know, and basically he's just busting his ass to get to where he needs to be. But at this point, he has come to terms with himself and he apologizes to the band and he apologizes to Kim. And he, he realizes I treated her like shit. And then when he he has the battle, he pulls out the sort of self-respect, which is a much more powerful sword. It had plus sevens for all the powers. Plus seven. So he pulls out the pink sword. We've reverted back to who he was in the first act. He's doing it. For, he's not just he's doing it out of self-respect. He's no longer a zero. And, and he's battling with the romance that he had the self-respect that he had at the beginning of the movie. And that's what is the winning blade for the most part. And he comes clean straight out with knives and Ramona. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's fully cognizant that he has caused pain and he's trying to bridge that and apologize in a mature way. Like this is his moment of growth. It was a nice moment. Yeah. And, and at that moment when he apologizes for the pain he's caused and, and accepts the fact that, that he's human. He he's literally died, reborn, and and sort of battled at the same time what he didn't understand before he had died, before he was killed the first time, and uh, and that's the growth, right? I guess that's where the green goes from this sort of jealousy and having to fight to the green being sort of maybe representative of growth. I just love that you had brought that in. By the way, I I was totally focused on jealousy, but the growth thing and the rebirth thing is fucking brilliant as well. And she reaches to the back of her head, back of her neck, and the little thing, the device that the G-Man was using to control her kind of blinks out, like it shorts out, and it's no longer an issue. And now she is more emotionally turned toward him. Like, everything that he had done that had hurt her, that kind of led her to the place of breaking up with him, was okay, amended. You know, and it turns out he needs them to help him defeat this final boss. And this is where the red really begins to pop, because not only are the stairs red, the the wave signs and the graphics around them as part of the club decoration, all of that's red. Gideon's glasses have the X in it. Did you notice the X in his glasses? Oh, uh, I mean, like in the cuts of the glass? Like No, no, no. It's in the reflection of the glass uh, in his glasses. He's got an X that's dead center in, his, in uh, the bridge of his nose. Oh, uh, I missed it. And when they come together to kick the shit out of him... He's glitching red, like when Ramona turns to him just before he finishes Scott off because Scott's been knocked down. His blade has been shattered. And he says, you're still my girl. And that's when she looks at him and says, why don't we both be girls? And she knees the fuck out of him. I'll kick him in the balls. <laughs> at least someone took that advice. Yeah, no kidding. They just kind of take him down. He ends up on his knees and he's glitching red, right? He's about to blow up, as it were. And then he kicks him into a KO, which knocks him into not 7,000, which was earlier when he knocked him down, but 7 billion coins. Well, it was 7 billion, 777 million, blah, 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 blah. Right, no, it was 7,777,777, nope. which is all sevens, seven digits. Uh, look at it again. I only see 7 billion. You're talking about the points that he gets for... Defeating. For defeating him at the very, very end, turning him into coins? Yeah, it just says 7 billion. Oh, then what was this? 
What's the seven seven sevens? Uh, well, there was seven thousand when he first, like when they do the sword clash and he ends up at the bottom of the stairs. How's it going back there? <laughs> and seven thousand pops up above his head, and you're like, okay, he clashed and sort of defeated him in the moment, and then this is the final defeat. I might be thinking of the comic book, ah, uh, which always that can be a problem. <laughs> so seven billion final points coins raining down from the heavens wow (laughs) wow uh yeah final defeat final boss has been defeated well okay we say that but there's another final boss yeah i did not bring a drink to this we we did i did not bring a drink for this final boss but i believe you did i did pick a drink for scott pilgrim have you been drinking these drinks, or are you just telling me about drinks you have? No, I don't own. The, I don't even own any of these. I just kind of picked ones that seem thematic. I am the only one that's. I thought this was like in your supply, man. I was like, no. I was like, holy shit, he's got some really good stuff to his collection. No, the closest thing that I actually have that I've named that I own is the one for Roxy. But anyway, so the drink that I picked for Scott Pilgrim, it's a whiskey that's actually distilled north of Toronto. Okay. Well, that's good location-wise. So it's a Canadian whiskey. It's stock and barrel, 100% rye whiskey. Now, okay. I picked it for, for a couple of reasons. One, it's called stock and barrel. And stock is exactly what Scott does at the party to Ramona. He stalks her. He stalks her. And that's a strange... So, <laughs> okay. And then I... Fa- it's not spelled the same, I might I add, know, but, but it's... Said, okay. I'm curious actually, where the barrel's going to come actually, isn't it? S-T-A-L-K? Isn't that for stocking? Stock and barrel. S-T-O-C-K. No, but this is spelled S-T-A-L-K. Really? Yeah. Okay. All right. Spelled the same. So here's the description of this whiskey. The characteristic dill pickle aroma is there, bright and clear like a western breeze. It's joined by flowers and icing sugar. Ramona flowers. What? Oh, nice. Okay. All right. All right, so he stalks the uh, the Ramona flowers. That's that's kind of that's that's very poetic. That's a poetic drink to kind of wrap into this. Yeah. I did pick a drink for Ramona too. Oh, do tell. So this one, it took me a while to actually like have the epiphany moment, but I picked Four Roses single barrel bourbon. Okay, okay, that's nice because it's Ramona flowers and it's called Four Roses. Right, right. I get you. I get you. That's nice. And then I picked the, uh, the single barrel. I'll read some of these notes. On the nose, it has dried spice, pear, cocoa, vanilla, and maple syrup. And I like the fact that it had maple syrup on the nose because where are we but Canada? Right. Okay. So I dig that. I like the location. If I had to pick a drink, and, and this is actually one of my faves, it would be a Stella Rosa, Stella Black. Stella Rosa? I've never heard of that. Stella Rosa. Now that's a that's a wine, uh, but it is. Ah, oh, there it is. Get the, yeah, Moscato semi sweet red wine. It's it's a nice semi sweet wine. They've actually got some sparkling wines as well. Mm-hmm. I like Stella Rosa. It's it's not too sweet, but uh, also the fact that a theme that we commonly see is the star. So when she says we should go towards that thing over there, and oh yeah, the star thing, and the door. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a door. And there's a star on her door. And uh, I thought, you know, as far as liquors were concerned, or well, let's just say wines for the matter, 
Estella Rosa, basically a star flower, if you will, was a was kind of a nice tie-in and something that I'm also familiar with as far as a drink is concerned. So that would be my pick for Ramona Flowers. And also because she's a little dark. She's a little. A little. She has some experience. So there is an eighth ex that he must defeat before he is allowed to be with her again. And I did not realize this until the most recent ending. Or until my most recent viewing. In the Nega Scott? Correct. Because he is one of her exes. And he had to face himself and he has to defeat himself. And before, as you had mentioned, he just didn't even try. He didn't even try. But after this rebirth, he faced himself. He made amends with his band. He made amends with the two girls that he hurt. He made amends with himself. And therefore, he didn't have to defeat Nega Scott he had already defeated him. That was an easy conquering because he had already faced himself. He had already grown up and he had already defeated himself. He had already tried. Yeah, it's it's kind and of like in the, it's kind of like you can face your demons, but you can't get rid of them. You have to learn to kind of accept them and move forward. Right. And that's something that he hadn't done before. He hadn't even bothered to face his demons. In fact, anytime anyone mentioned any of his previous exes or the people he hurt, he blew it off. What about Kim? Oh, Kim and I are fine. You know, pan to Kim. Ooh, not fucking fine. Right? But he, he, you know, had to battle himself. And the fact of the matter is, is that once he came to accept the darker side of himself and who he was... Uh, he found out that that they could be friends, that they could kind of walk out and be okay. And you know what? It, it, it always kind of made me wonder, like, why was that even necessary to fucking have? Like, the movie had gone on for seven evil exes. Why did we need Negus Scott? It seemed almost completely unimportant. But then this most recent viewing where I'm paying more fucking attention to this, I realize he is the last ex he has to defeat. He can't be with her until he's defeated all of them. And he is the last one. If they hadn't come back to it, we would be dealing with the Chekhov's gun. Because remember, yes, you're right. We would have. They went through that whole part where he was playing that game and mm-hmm. saying that it, it was foreshadowing this battle with within himself. Right. They had to do it. Yeah. And once he walks out, sort of, you know, having befriended himself, the Negus Scott sort of not defeated himself, but learned to accept himself. He had gotten past the eighth X, and it is at this point now that he is allowed to be with her. And because he had made the amends and sort of settled things with Knives, and Knives is like, I'm too good for you. She's accepted that fact as well. You know, everything is truly cool with her and everything, you know, with everyone. And now truly the road has opened up where virtuously he is allowed to pursue her, and she's willing to start again. End scene. End scene. End movie. To be continued. Ah, that would have been cool. Nine, eight, seven, six. (laughs) It's a fun movie. I really enjoy it. Love this movie. I can't say that my wife enjoyed it the way I did because uh, we watched it yesterday and she was like, that was a stupid movie. And I'm like, yeah, but it's awesome. What? Well, it's It's, stupid. It's not an Oscar winner, but it's entertaining. And stupid is such a, it's, it's a bit, that's awfully subjective. You know, first off, I don't think it's unintelligent. I don't think it's an unintelligent movie. I think what it is, it's, it's a movie with a very particular audience in, mi- oh, in sure. mind. 
and it plays to that audience spectacularly. If there's anywhere a book and a movie did really well, uh, you know, together, where the movie portrayed the book, you know, and again, I've, I've thumbed through several chapters of the comic, but not gone through it, but seemed to hold really well, like highly respected the source material. Mm-hmm. Would you say? Oh, absolutely. I mean, almost like for at least the first half to three quarters of it is right. very true to the book. The, I think the the one X before like the move before the books fell behind the movie that was very different was the part with Roxy Richter. That that part is much okay. longer and more drawn out and very different, but as I recall. But it would take a mm-hmm. rereading of the comics to actually remember that for real, real. To remember that for real, for real, real. Not for play, play. I'm looking at Scott Pilgrim versus the World on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, yeah. Which is oftentimes where we come back to get a feel for how everyone else loved or hated a particular movie. Did, wait, did you see the rating yet? I've not. I'm, I'm getting there. It did really well. It did really well. Got an 81% as far as reviewers were concerned and an 83% as far as the audience. So pretty much across the board, everybody agreed this is a pretty fucking good movie. It, but it did not perform well in the theaters as far as earnings, I believe. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure what it eventually raked in or, or how it qualified earnings-wise. I, I agree I didn't see this movie in the theater, I don't believe. I think I saw it eventually afterwards. But maybe that's what makes a good cult classic, is a movie that just doesn't perform well in the theaters, but once it comes out, it kind of has this lag and, that people pick up on and then love. In some ways, a movie like this is almost manufactured to be a cult classic as opposed to a box office hit. It's a very different movie. And again, you're appealing to a very specific audience. And that's an audience that both gets the 80s references and uh, potentially has seen the comic. For me, it was the 80s references. And then it was just really well written, I thought. And then really well sort of choreographed as far as the visual elements were concerned. I, I, I take it back. I saw this in the theater because I remember sitting there going, I fucking love this. With the fight scenes and just everything was just really well done. You know, I, I, I my only complaint would be that it, like this episode went on too long. But, but you couldn't have gone any shorter and not felt like you cut something important out. You know, if we'd maybe if we'd removed the the nega stuff, you know, from the beginning and the end, maybe that would have trimmed it up enough to be a little bit more timely or not as long as it fucking is. It just felt a slight bit too long. But it's, you know, that having that in there wasn't without purpose. Like you kind of needed to feel like he had settled the score with himself. I get why it was in there and they made it pretty short. But yeah, I'm just glad that it was received by the audience and reviewers uh, as well as I feel. In my tomato meter, it's higher than an 80 just because I enjoy it that much. And, but right. when you when you look into just how much detail goes into it and the little symbols and the Easter eggs, like how can you not just fucking love this movie? Uh, I think it has to speak to you. I think it has to speak to you on a lot of levels. And if you're not connected to the 80s shit, the video game shit, the music... You know, if you're not drawing connections, you're just disconnected from the movie. And then it can look stupid. Then it just looks like a dumb boy chasing after a, a, a potentially overexperienced girl. 
<laughs> yeah, I just it's it, it looks like a, a guy pining for a girl. You know, it's one of those movies, right? With a little relationship drama thrown in and some fighting. I, I get why somebody who can't connect to it from the multiple angles, when you take all of that away, what do you have? And it's it's a you know a decent story, but it just looks like a boy chasing after girl movie, and then that that by itself seems very shallow. Seems done before. It definitely seems done before. It's a rehash. You know, when you plug in all of that other stuff, it adds more meaning to it, and it adds more depth and more flavor, and the characters have more growth. You start to pick up on that shit. I, I love this movie more, having watched it within the past 24 hours for the purposes of this this review and really looking at the symbolism and the colors and everything that went into this to tie every part of the story together and make it feel connected without you knowing it. I really, really love and appreciate that. It's just all out fun. And again, I've said this when we've talked about Ready Player One. I am not a video gamer type person. And this movie does have a lot of roots in video games. And I still enjoyed it. I knew enough to kind of understand these references and appreciate the art of the film. I remember seeing this in the theater, really enjoying it and like not having really, I really went in not knowing much at all about the story of it. I remember I'd talk like commercials or whatever, but I remember like being in the theater and like having that moment where the movie turns into the video game where Matthew Patel comes crashing through the roof and they do that fight scene. And I was like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> and I'm, I, I just remember going in without any prejudice of it. And it was, mm-hmm. it was a very good time. I, I enjoy rewatching it. I read the comic books afterwards and those were enjoyable on their own. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now having, doing, the, doing the podcast for Ready Player One and then seeing all these parallels to it. Maybe we can talk for a few minutes about that before we wrap up. But I can see how Scott Pilgrim and Ready Player One are not distant relatives. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, there's a greater divide between the book and the movie in Ready Player One than there is in Scott Pilgrim. And I think that's where a lot of people were disappointed. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that was part of the deep love for Scott Pilgrim is that it was as true to the source as it was. So before we wrap up, uh, I feel that Scott was a wealthier person at the end of the movie, but we really need to talk about literally how wealthier he was. And I've done the calculations. Oh, here we go. For all of the for all of the evil exes, including the seven billion at the end. And uh, of course we are going to calculate this in Canadian currency. Uh, although I'll still say dollars. And uh, if when we calculate everything up and then multiply that, divide it by a thousand, and then multiply that by two dollars and forty cents. What we end up with is one hundred and sixty-eight million. So that's a little bit of a that's a far cry from where Parzival ended up at the end of Ready Player One. But nonetheless, well, that's true. Nonetheless, we know how yeah. poor Scott is at the beginning of this movie because he's bumming change off of knives to continue playing the video game, and right. So we get this sense that he is not exactly wealthy. He's sharing a bed. With Wallace. <laughs> with his 
with his gay friend while they're having sex in the bed next to him. So it's a similar kind of rags to riches type story. Right, right. And he's got all these challenges that he's got to face. And there's the love interest who's clearly more skilled than he is, more knowledgeable. You know, she's American. (laughs) He's Canadian. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of that flip-flop there from from Ready Player One where Artemis is the Canadian and he's the American. But... Well, and uh, and it's it's even worse than that as far as money is concerned because we are talking about the Canadian dollar in U.S. dollars. Mm. In U.S. dollars, it's one hundred twenty-six million eight hundred thirty-five thousand eight hundred fifty dollars and seventy-three cents. But still, one hundred twenty-six million is not bad. Not bad at all. Not bad at all. And with that, I have mixed the droplet remnants of the different alcohols from the different X's into one cup. Ooh. So you have like a little infinity bottle. Um, I have what I'm going to call um, a, a touch of sloppy seconds <sighs> that I'm going to, to take down. Oh, and that's god awful. <laughs> oh, my God. And, oh, I can taste Roxy all over that. Gross. Uh <laughs> And I have a little bit of the twins and some Roxy in there. They're they're they dominate the drink there. I think that wraps it up. I don't think we can go any deeper with this. No, we've been talking about the movie for longer than the movie actually runs. So I think <laughs> we have worn out our welcome. Oh God. All right. This is Chris. And this is Aaron. And we will see you in the next episode of Get to the Good Part. Thanks for listening. And by the way, we want you to go see this movie, because we like it. See this fucking movie. If you liked Ready Player One, you may like this movie better than Ready Player One the movie. And I say that with great hesitation, but with strong conviction. Yeah. Anyway, see you next time. We outies. See ya. Was there a plus seven voipel voipel? No, was it vorpel? <laughs> oh, come on now. Wasn't it voipel? Voipel? <laughs> Meshugamana. Isn't it voipel? I got my uh, voipel sword in the Wawawa Mountains. Exactly. Is that a Jewish blade? <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because <laughs> it's voipel. Come on. Uh, You're Jewish. I can say it. Um. <laughs> No, I'm Jewish. I can say it. Oh, 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 my bad. I can, I can permit you <laughs> at my own will. Okay.